0: And as I was freaking out about it, it was kind of great because my coworkers were just like, "No, it's okay. It's <laughs> it's not a real yep. tech job unless right, you've broken right, prod." Right.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. I'm Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow, and I brought Three wonderful people with me today. want to say hi, everybody.
2: Hi, everybody.
1: Hi,
3: everybody. Hello.
1: Hi, Sarah. Hi, Paul. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Cassidy. Hey, Ben. We have uh, Cassidy Williams with us today. She writes the newsletter in part for Stack Overflow, along with myself and my colleague, Ryan Donovan. And we did the dev surveys we do every year. We interviewed, you know, 65,000 developers. And what we learned was that the newsletter is one of the things that is making people feel most Welcome in the Stack Overflow community. So we want to bring Cassidy on Ooh-hoo. and say awesome, good job, first of all. Thanks. And talk a little bit about like your process. Yeah. Cause like how do you do it?
2: We have a chance here because we are also on the welcoming matrix, but let's be frank, we're a number of notches. This podcast is yeah. a number of notches below in terms of its welcomingness.
0: Yeah, keep up.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. So so I really, I want to throw it back to Cassidy. You know, I think this is a great conversation because I don't think people ever have this conversation in public. What do you do to be welcoming, especially because we're in a community that is famous for being prickly?
0: It's hard to say, but the conclusion I've come two, because people have asked me that when I'm like emceeing an event and stuff mm-hmm. as well, is that I'm willing to be the butt of the joke, even if I'm the one telling <laughs> the joke. Mm. And I, and I think that that is a very big factor because a lot of people in the development community try to be very cool for school. And when you're willing to not be cool for school and you're willing to be the one that's making the terrible joke just to make people at least laugh like, Oh, come on. Right. I think that is a really powerful tool that not enough people take advantage hmm. of, of just being stupid. You
2: know, I'll tell you, before I had to get on stage in my life and talk to people, whenever anybody went, okay, let me hear it. I can't hear you. I would lose my mind. It's like, that is the worst <laughs> thing. I just, why are you doing it? And now that I've been on the other side, I'm up there going, I can't hear you because right. you just. The audience has to be given a little bit of work to just get on your side.
0: Yeah, and and that's that's something with I have a personal newsletter. I try to do with this with this one. I try to include some jokes in there that sometimes are subtle. Sometimes <laughs> it's just like, hey, this is a very very low effort pun, but something in there where people might. Breathe out of their nose Just a little bit faster mm-hmm. It'd be like
2: hmm. <laughs> Okay I'll bite I'll yeah. open but it But not cl- Not clever Not too clever
1: uh, No
2: I'm never clever okay. Yeah I mean there's two <laughs> options When you want to get The
1: audience involved You either go Full What was that Microsoft guy's name after You either go full Bomber You either go developers, full bomber Developers And, developers, and bring developers. the energy You yeah. go full bomber Or yeah You're a little bit Self-deprecating And people respond to that And they're like Hey You're vulnerable A little bit I can laugh with you And at you I can relax I think that's right. So your tip is like make fun of yourselves
3: a little more.
0: Yeah. And I'm not saying like completely do self-deprecating jokes to the point where people feel bad for you. (laughs) I'm just saying like be be willing to just laugh a little bit.
2: This is real. If you are vulnerable in public, it's one of the hardest things to be. And you actually have to be in a really like specific place in your life before you can because most people actually can't afford to be vulnerable in public. But once you get to that yeah. place and you have a little bit of power, it's one of the most important things you can do because then people – you will get email after email after email, message after email because I'm, I'm 40 – 45 other people probably are able to communicate through more modern means of communication but people will be like yeah it it, you know it's not just me oh my god they're so shocked the regular message of marketing and thought leadership is i've got it figured out and i will tell you what to do
1: yeah one of the most popular pieces we ever ran on the blog was by alan spurtis and it's my most embarrassing mistakes as a programmer so far and just yeah huge reaction and it's like a moment of of community where people came together in the comments and were like, oh, yeah, I did that. Or let me tell you my story. You know, like kind of everybody can let their guard down a little bit.
0: Right. You, even so, I'm, I'm at my current job at Netlify. I've been here for, wow, almost two months now. That's amazing. Time flies. But... I broke prod like two weeks ago. Yeah, and it was it was uh, a terrible feeling. I was freaking out trying wait, to wait, wait. You broke like again. Netlify
2: prod, which is like the meta prod, like the, the prod.
0: <laughs> I broke prod. Yeah, it was not like great. breaking
2: breaking prod on a service where everyone else is breaking prod when they're using the service is like that's yeah. wow. Okay, yeah.
0: Luckily, luckily, it was. In an area where not a lot of people were at that time. So I was able to, one of the features of Netlify, you can do an instant rollback. And so it's like a click of a button to just go back to the old things. Yeah, it's it's super useful. So luckily, anybody who did get affected by anything, it didn't affect them for more than two minutes, but it was still terrifying. Did
1: you set a new record doing it within the first month or they were like, this happens to everybody within the first month?
0: I chose not to ask for my own self. Oh no! But what,
2: what you find with cultures like that, where the the focus is on pushing, like it always happens in the first couple months. Like there's you're just because you're because yeah. you're out without a net right, right away.
1: Right. Yeah. This is like that great question we ran through. The question was how to effectively work with teammates whose fixes to bugs cause more bugs. Actually, this question has now been closed, but I thought it was a great question.
0: It's a real and question because so, that happens
1: constantly.
3: Yeah. yeah. And I th- there's a lot of passive aggression involved usually in those relationships. Oh,
1: I can't believe they closed this mm-hmm. question as off topic after it got a great answer and was accepted. Really?
2: You, c- you can't believe that about this? Yeah, really? You? I, yeah. I
1: couldn't believe it. I just, you know, <laughs> come on. Come on.
2: Uh
1: so, Cassidy, I heard you've been using Hey, which is the hot new email client. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is yes. and what you like and don't like about it?
0: Yes. So, it is it is a new take on email. We're disrupting <laughs> the email industry, people. <laughs> so, it's Hey, H-E-Y, Hey.com. And you. it's an invite-only thing currently. I think in the next like week and a half, they're going to open it up to people. And it's an email service. You sign up for a brand new email and... They have a bunch of very opinionated features. For example, the inbox is now an M box with an M because it's an important box now.
2: (laughs) Oh, okay. So
0: the, the the emails come in, and if it's someone who hasn't ever sent you an email before, there's a screener. And so you can say, yes or no, I want to receive emails from this person and oh, like if that. it's a no then yeah if there's a no then you never get emails from them again it's a, if it's a yes then it goes to your inbox and then once you there there are some some cool little features in there and then you can reply to emails etc you can mark an email as reply later you can oh, I like that sticky an email so it goes to another section of emails the, that the, are um box sticky. for
1: unimportant things
0: yeah well and here, here's the thing that I don't like about this system is there's no such thing as in, <laughs> inbox, <laughs> inbox zero mm. in it. So once you've once you've addressed an email or replied to it or whatever, it just goes into a previously seen section, and that previously seen section doesn't go yeah. away. And so there, there's always those those emails that live there. And so I'm not sure how I feel about that. One other thing that's cool though is there's a attachment aggregation section. And so every single time you receive an email attachment, it goes to the attachment section. And so you can search through your attachments really easily. And I think that part yeah. is great. Like if, if every email could have some kind of attachment aggregation, I think life would be so much easier for me. Like a file
2: system for your email. Like you can see all the bits that people have sent you.
0: Right. Yeah. And so I I can say, oh, well, I know that there is an invoice here that someone sent me. I, you can search by like date by the person that sent you. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
1: I do think that like, yeah, I'm often searching around being like, I really I want to resend that PDF. I want to resend that, you know, little audio. And then it would be great if I was just in a drop down on the right. So that's all hosted in their cloud or.
0: Yeah. Good question. So that's, that is where it starts to get like, oh, this is. This is something right. you can't import your old email into right. it. Mm. And so you, that's you start rough. a brand new email account on this platform, which is fun. God, I, how would you even do that?
1: De- you gotta be dedicated, Sarah. You gotta that- be dedicated. <laughs> yeah,
0: That's, that's the thing. Like for, for myself, I access old emails all the time and mm-hmm. it would be a very long time before. Hey, could be valuable to me because I go back to my Gmail. Mm. I would have to so yeah. often. And, I even emailed them. I was just like, "So is this just how it is?" Because I could really, yeah. Use are they planning own. on doing it? Yeah. yeah, and they they literally said, "Well, your old emails still exist. Just go back when you need them." And I was like, I, oh, will, "I don't like that. I will need them a lot." So that that is that is my hesitation. I
1: thought that was like an open. I thought that was like an open thing, like like a RSS, but it's called like PMP or something, where like you just can map one to the other. Isn't SMTP. Like a-
0: yeah, SMTP. I, I yeah. map yeah. and pop and all that
1: yeah
0: yeah yeah I bet they just didn't
3: open it. Is that what you think, Cassidy? They're just like not allowing for that.
0: I don't know in their f a q s they just said, no, this isn't a thing <laughs> so i'm I'm oh, really hoping yeah. that that is just like a v one Thing right. And that it'll come because I, I do think that it could be useful if I could have my old emails in it. Right.
2: Look, this is this is opinionated product culture, right? Like we're going to take, we're going to draw this incredibly firm line in the sand, see how people use it and what they need, and then we'll we'll adapt accordingly. Like right. I mean, it's not a bad strategy because we're on here talking about hay and and trying to figure out what they want instead of them giving us what we want. So. Yeah, so what you're talking about, Ben, I mean, th- this is what's really interesting here to me is that they're they're kind of breaking away with a lot of email tradition. Like, even Gmail has uses the classic email protocols underneath. Like, I yeah. mirror all of my email to a local drive, make it searchable, then I can access it in searchably in my text editor because right. I'm a specific kind of human being, <laughs> and I've <laughs> accepted that about myself. And so what they're saying is, eh, the hell with it, let's go web first. And there have been other efforts like this. Like uh, There's IMAP, which is an old way of sharing out all your folders to a client, right? And then there's also JMAP, which is the sort of JavaScript web-based version of that protocol for faster web client development, but that can kind of also talk. And it feels like they're saying, hey, you know, we're all using this platform. Obviously, you can send them emails and send them out and... And they support enough of the the protocol to, to do that, but right. they're saying, nah, we're going to go very webby." I, it looks a lot when I look at the screenshots. It just rem- it's you know it's it's the same people who brought you Basecamp, so it, it's got that kind of very specific aesthetic. Mm-hmm.
1: We've got three I, three talented programmers on this podcast and one other guy. Do you think you could just write a script, Paul? Since you're already mirroring, like Cassidy, you were saying, can you just send yourself every Gmail you've ever sent and received, and then it would all just be in there? like just send it to Hey. And then it would be there in your inbox somehow. Mm -mm. No, Uh, that's bad. bad. Don't do that.
3: You think you could do it, but it would be a mess.
0: Yeah, I think it is possible, but I don't want to touch that with a ten (laughs) foot
2: pole. Right.
0: Email email is hard.
2: Yeah, in a perfect world where it was two just two computers talking that you controlled, you could absolutely do that. It's yeah. the least efficient way to do it. It's through by actually resending the email, but yeah. you could totally do it. But the entire world of email now is set up so that you can't do things like that because it is indistinguishable from spam. Right, right, so, right. That makes yeah. sense.
1: Speaking of spammers, I want to just do one great bot story here that I saw this morning. There's always been bots or whatever. And back in the day, there were World of Warcraft bots that used to farm gold. And sometimes those would be bots. Sometimes they'd actually be like real people, like click farms full of real people. But apparently bots are terrorizing the World of Warcraft servers, stealing precious resources, monopolizing rare monsters, and inflating the virtual economy with truckloads of illicitly earned gold.
2: No. Bots. Wait. Okay. so wait. World of Warcraft is still going. Strong,
1: yeah, still it's going good. strong. Oh, yeah,
2: it's going strong, super strong. So bots have gone wild in Warcraft.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that like you're, well, I guess like right, you write a script, it creates an account with a bunch of other ones, and then they go in there and they act sort of like real people, but they're just very dedicated to doing certain things and they never sleep. But then, right, the 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 rub is that's that this, is
2: indistinguishable from a World of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. From
1: me and my buddies when we were twelve, exactly. But the the rub is that yeah, this stuff can be converted into back into real money. You can trade the digital goods for real money oh. to people who are big time gamers. Ooh. So that's why a hundred gold goes for four dollars and seventy nine cents.
2: Wow. It's not a bad conversion rate. Yeah. You know. We're increasingly entering into this very strange world that we're not prepared for, (laughs) where people have access to computers and the internet, but are hungry. Like, I mean, there's like, we never expected that. We always expected that, like, with the computers would come prosperity Mm. of a certain kind. And it actually turns out that, like, electronics and telecommunication can coexist in a world where basic, basic human needs aren't getting met. And so then you enter the global economy and things like gold farming, and it's it's not quite cyberpunk dystopia because it's actually like, you know, it's people, people are being creative and weird too. It's not just this like pure sort of this pure form of exploitation, but it is definitely a weird scene. And like, we're just kind of trundling along. Like we're, we're, we're currently sharing probably like a hundred megabits of bandwidth, just chatting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm making, we're making gigs of files. We're doing good. Yeah. And then we're going to go have our coffee. And then it's just like such a, big world out there
1: yeah we're just chatting for free with a, a level of internet data that would have cost five thousand dollars in 1999 yeah. <laughs> yeah today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by stack overflow for teams the best way to organize and share knowledge across your company it's used by small startups and some of the biggest companies in the world today it's free on the basic tier until june 30th with no credit card required head on over to StackOverflow.com slash teams and check it out
3: uh, back to Hay. Should we talk about how DHH is losing it on Twitter?
2: <laughs> okay, so wait we we need to back we need to back this out. So this is a Hay comes from a company called Thirty Seven Signals, and I'm assuming it's still they, they're still calling it. I that. think they're all I think they still call it Basecamp, Basecamp, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Basecamp. They renamed it Basecamp. Okay, so Basecamp is are the people producing Hay, and this is a friend that's been around for a while, and the the person who created uh, it was sort of the the founder of Ruby on Rails. Is a guy who goes by DHH, which is David Hennemeyer Hansen, is that correct? Yeah. now they have submitted an app to the Apple App Store that's what I know I just want to give our listeners some context before we go acronym wild yeah and Apple said no wait people are signing up for the service you're gonna to need to pay us you know five hogs head of wine and mead which is what Apple <laughs> yeah. always demands right then what happened
3: first is a little eye rolly I think because well I so this is here this is a real roller coaster for me because my first reaction was, Welcome to the world of app development. I'm sorry no one ever told you that Apple takes a cut. Because that was like <laughs> at first it seemed like it seemed like he was upset about Apple's 30%. Yeah. We I have a text group with a bunch of other developers. So this is this was our initial take. And then someone did the work of actually digging in after all the snark. And it looks like what happened was they didn't put in app purchase in their app. So they, what they did for Hay is they have the app, but they made it so you can purchase it online so they don't have to give that 30%. But then Apple was like, sorry, you have to put in an in-app purchase or we'll not put it in the app
1: store. Right. Well, that's t- and I'm confused about that because I thought other people already did this. Like there are certain things with Amazon and Kindle or yeah, Netflix like or the books, where yeah. they don't offer the in-app purchase option because they... They're like, fine, you know, we'll make it harder on customers to buy things like they can't buy it directly through the app, but we're also not going to pay your tax. So I'm confused about why Hay is getting singled out here.
0: Because they're making lots of noise, probably.
1: <laughs> because yeah, yeah, that's probably yeah. right. Apple that's is it. letting some companies bypass the App Store cut, like Amazon Prime Video. So if you're a big dog and you have an ecosystem that Apple also relies on, you can get you can get this special treatment.
2: You go in and you have meetings and you figure yeah. out a plan and yeah. people don't really talk about what the real deal is. I mean, who knows? It's also opaque and then everybody yells about it online. And right. I mean, at some level, this has to get resolved at an antitrust legislation level because they have so much power. So does Google and they control the platforms and the access we have. And, and like if the cut is too great for companies to thrive, that is pretty rough. That means that we're not building a good ecosystem. And then Apple's going to have a very strong case bolstered by seven or 800,000 lawyers that everything they're doing is completely fine.
3: It seems like they're going after the little guy here. It seems like DHH might be in the right getting upset.
1: Yeah, I mean, hard to look good when you're going up against a pretty small company like Basecamp and your Apple. I think it's hard to, to come out looking good.
2: I think the argument is that for-pay services tend to be like they're corporate, like, you know, like Gmail would be a good example. Like you pay for your corporate Gmail account and then you get the Gmail app on. And it also, you know, and and that that allows you to access that and they're not going to get in the way of that. Whereas this is like a a slightly different deal. I don't know. It's so exhausting and confusing. And (laughs) Apple goes one way and Google goes the other. And then people get very emotional and reactive about it on Twitter. And I feel that, This will never resolve, and we will all deal with this for the next 40 years of our life.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right, Cassidy, I have a question for you.
3: Ooh,
0: okay.
1: Asked yesterday, ways to explain my code when told it doesn't make sense. This is something we all experience as animals trying to communicate with our voices, or back when I was a journalist and I wrote something and it didn't make sense. What do you three think about... Ways to explain my code when told it doesn't make sense.
0: Well, my code is perfect, so I've never had this problem.
2: (laughs) I will say I had an engineer take me aside not too long ago because I wrote a little something as an experimental project. And they went, you know, that wasn't bad. That was actually like you used reduce. Like you did a few things I was really... I was really surprised by it. I'm like I'm, wow. I know you know as a boss I thought
3: he was going to roast you mm,
2: Oh they would have they would have <laughs> No and then and then I was like look maybe I should maybe I should think about coming into engineering a little more deeply and they're like well you know we we are looking for juniors so they got it in there they, they, yeah <laughs> It's fine. You know, you got <laughs> to get at least great. one knife twist is important.
0: I do think that there, there's one answer in there. I, I did a very quick skim. There's one answer in there that I think is very true. Get people to look at your code sooner. Uh, mm-hmm. So you don't want to be the person that is just like, I'm going to make a PR, and then it's like a 6,000-line PR, and people have mm. to scroll through tons and tons of stuff. It's I think it's very key. If someone doesn't understand your code, break it up a lot more and, and introduce certain smaller concepts at a time, document it properly, and then also just be willing to justify why you do certain things. Be ready to go to a whiteboard and draw something uh, or or something to to be able to explain what you're doing.
1: I was going to say that, like you know, as a writer and an editor, that makes so much sense. Often, if I'm working with somebody and just like we keep struggling to get to a place where like the first draft or the second draft is something good, you say, "All right, let's let's go back. Write me like a structure. Like write me the bullet point version, and then we'll get through that. And then write me like the one page version, and then we'll get through that. And then we can write the five page version." Right?
2: Cassidy makes a really good point, and Ben, you're telling you're, you're talking about editing, right? Like there is storytelling around technology is an is a deeply undervalued skill right Mm. like here are some mental models that we can apply. You know, here are some ways to, like, being able to stand up and be like, let me tell you how the variable moves through the system and where the functions operate. And if you look at it, and everyone listening to this might be like, well, it's not that hard. But if you look at what the masters have tried to do, like Donald Knuth with literate programming, walking through every single bit and telling a story around every piece of code, it's still really hard. Like, getting the, the abstract model of, of what the code is doing in your head and then narrating it is actually... Like, one of the great unsolved problems in technology. And when you when you go down to, like, the debugging level and you say, hey, no, we're going to know everything that the computer is doing so we can really understand what's happening here, it's completely overwhelming. It's, it's mm-hmm. just this nuclear level mm-hmm. of information because there's two billion things happening per second. And so... This is hard. Like that the storytelling mm-hmm. is hard.
3: Yeah, I look at reading this question. It's really interesting. It seems like this person runs into this a lot, which says that if you re- if your code is often hard to understand, I think that's a, like a bit of a smell. But what's interesting <laughs> is that when he asks people what part specifically seems to be confusing, they say the whole thing. So this seems like, I think you're right, Cassidy, of, you know, maybe he's just doing these or they're just doing these huge pull requests and people are like, I don't know how to parse all this. Right. Or maybe there's writing things in a confusing manner. There's mm. also
0: people who try to be really clever. And sometimes mm. yeah, that's Sometimes you just too. have yeah, yeah. to be more boring. Like, yeah. there was yeah. one time where I was just like, dang, this piece of code is ugly, but look how cool it is. And it was like a nested ternary statement that had all of these extra things happening at each level. And yes, you can do it. And it's technically one line of code, but why would you do that when you could just make it a tiny bit more maintainable by breaking it up into five?
2: Mm. You know, this this has always been the Python point of view, which is like, yeah, we gave you your lambdas, you have them, but how about a nice for loop instead? Like, how about you just... Because like, everybody knows what those are. They're even indented. And it's the great struggle in languages, which is I'm going to give you this efficiency so that you can show off versus here's what the poor person who follows you is going to have the easiest time understanding.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. And this
3: it's, But the showing off part is fun. The showing oh, off is. part <laughs>
0: is very fun. It's it's fun to be just like, look what I can do. Don't worry, I'm not committing this. And right. it's it's just like kind of human communication too. I can yeah. use really big words at you and explain something in a very convoluted way, and it'll be really clever. Or I could make it more relatable to you. So that way you right. understand it more. And, and yeah. I think it's the exact same thing with code.
2: So I'm learning more about climate models related to some of the work we're doing at our firm. And these are multi, like they're like, it's like a million lines of Fortran and each one, and there's like 30 big ones, and it is a world. And you go in, and you read some of the Fortran, and it's literally like vegetation equals 0.7. Like, it's just like (laughs) this little model of the world, and it's some of the worst programming you'll ever see. It's kind of amazing, (laughs) and it all bundles up into this giant climate model. But it's weirdly also completely apparent, because the, the scientists are just trying to get their science into the code, as opposed to showing how much they know about you know, matrix transformations. So it's surprisingly readable, just like, it's just very blunt force. All right, y'all, it's that time. On every
1: episode, we shout out a Lifeboat winner. Lifeboat badge goes to somebody who got an answer score of 20 or more on a question that had a score of negative three or less. So thanks for saving the knowledge. Today, we're giving it to Wizard. This was awarded yesterday. Is there an equivalent method to seize ScanF in Java? Do I say that ScanF or ScanF? ScanF.
2: Yeah.
0: I like the name Scamp a lot. Scamp. It's
2: yeah. like a it's like a little gremlin y guy who kind of comes along. It's me, Scamp. <laughs> I'm Scamp. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> is there an equivalent to Scamp in, in Java? Yeah. Uh,
1: and there's some answers in here. So we'll put that in the show notes and everybody can check it out. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. If you have something you want to share with us, you can hit us up, podcast at stackoverflow.com. My name is Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper.
3: Awesome. I'm Sarah Chips. You can find me at Sarah Joe on GitHub.
2: I'm Paul Ford. I'm the co-founder of Postlight, a strategy, design, and engineering firm. You can find us at postlight.com.
0: I'm Cassidy Williams. I'm a principal developer experience engineer at Netlify, and you can find me at cassidoo c-a-s-s-i-d-o-o all over the internet.
1: Wonderful.